Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Feeling is Musical, as presented by the Snohomish County Music Project. My name is Erica Lee, and today we return to our two-part series about the music in the brain with Colby. If you have not yet met Colby, Colby is a board-certified music therapist working primarily with elementary children experiencing trauma. He uses a social justice orientation and a trauma-informed lens while working with clients from a range of different backgrounds and abilities, always focusing on client strengths and providing them with as much power and agency as possible in therapeutic settings. Welcome back for part two. Thanks for being here, Colby. Hey, hi, everyone. I learned so much last week in that episode. Um, particularly, it's interesting that music activates the primary dopamine reward center, which I learned is because your brain interprets music as a necessity for survival, which is that is the part that gets me is that it's a necessity for survival according to your brain, right. not just like our personal interpretation of like mm-hmm. life in our yeah. how society runs like and so forth. Music. Yeah. So, like, neurologically, I need music. You need music. music. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to part one, and then come back and join this conversation again, yeah. because this conversation will make a lot more sense if you listen to part yes. one first. So, we talked about all the neuroscience last time. Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to talk more about, like, the applications yeah. and practical, what music therapy looks like in a session mm-hmm. and how you're applying that knowledge. Do you want to start, what's, like, a basic principle you use that incorporates the neurological information? Um, I think we can start pretty basic with um, the idea of like entrainment and grounding what does entrainment mean yes entrainment is the the fact that we naturally will kind of match what music is doing Mm. so the best kind of example is if you're running you got a running playlist that's usually at a higher tempo because you're going to want to be moving faster and naturally our body will start to move to the tempo of the music Uh, if you're not paying attention and then you kind of like finally come back into focus usually you'll find that your running your gait is in sync to the music listening to it's also that's also a theory used in like shopping centers and areas if they want you to be scooting along they'll play fast music and if they want you to like stop and stay and look they play lower music like tempo music oh interesting yeah. now i'm gonna listen closely to the music at the grocery store mm-hmm. it's fun it's a, it's a time <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay so that's what like entrainment is it can be more like broadly applied to some other situations we'll talk about so we talked about this more in an episode about trauma-informed care, um, when you can disassociate. And part of helping like reintegrate everything is to ground yourself and make sure that um, we're neurologically and physiologically aware that we're in the current place. Mm-hmm. And that can be done um, via music as well. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But that's the general idea of grounding is not even done with music. It's used across a wide variety of modalities. Um, and then music just also takes from that as well. Is entrainment specific to music therapy or is it applicable or used in other therapeutic modalities to your knowledge? Yeah, to my knowledge, I've only ever heard it really used specifically with music. Um, but not to say that attunement, I guess, is a very similar word that is used often in attachment and bonding type mm. of uh, situations which you'll learn more about next week yes. with sam we'll talk about relationships and music therapy but 
So what's attunement? What is there a difference between attunement and entrainment? Yeah, or is is a little bit more intentional, and it's usually more person to person. Because、mm. um, we also like talk about tuning instruments to make sure that they're on like the same wavelength、sure. and stuff like that. So、sure. similarly, in people, if you're attuned to someone, you're like kind of watching what they're doing, you're reflecting back, you're having a, a conversation that goes back and forth. So if you're not attuned to someone, you might not notice certain things about them or Um, they might feel that you aren't paying attention to them and aren't aren't present with them,、um, and Sam will talk a lot more about that. Yes, next yeah, week. Yeah. Okay. So there's entrainment. Are there、mm-hmm. any other concepts or principles that、Just、are related? General terms. Neuroplasticity is a fun one. Ne- I cannot say this word. I off. Off air, have been trying to say <laughs> neuroplasticity, and it's just very difficult. That's the only time I'm going to say the term.、Mm-hmm. Great. So,、just、what is that? It, <laughs>、uh, neuroplasticity is the the fact that so brains go through in our younger critical development periods where we're learning and、uh, kind of deleting a lot of information, things that we need. There's that whole idea of use it or lose it, right, with our brains.、Mm. Um, And generally, the brain doesn't change too much after those development periods, but it still can. And the ability for the brain to continue to change is neuroplasticity in of itself. The idea that plasticity is almost like malleability or flexibility, the ability to change. And then Nero is talking about the brain. Okay. And so entrainment. Oh,、mm-hmm. this is the term, and that term. It's gonna be like Voldemort. I'm just like not gonna <laughs> say the term anymore. Neuroplasticity. <laughs> how do <laughs> how do these two、um, concepts and ideas? How do they? How are they applied in a therapy session?、Mm-hmm. Can you give some like examples of? Yeah. How you might use them? Yeah. So there's this one thing called the ISO principle. Um, which combines a bit of entrainment and attunement.、Uh, as a principle, basically means that wherever clients or someone else is at, if you meet them there at that energy level,、um, you can then intentionally kind of guide and move through to a different energy level.、Um, so we use this like at home. If you're listening to sad music because you're sad. And then you create a playlist that like moves into like happier music, so you're finally ready for like the workday or、um, going out with your friends.、Uh, that's one example of it. I might use it in session、uh, if kids come in from like let's say recess and they're still full of energy and super excited and bouncing off the walls.、Um, I will try to get them to attune to me by playing music that reflects where they're at. So that they feel like seen and heard and understood, and then they will attach to that music, and then I will begin to、um, play my faster music a little bit slower, decrease my volume a little bit,、um, make my sound a little bit softer. I continue to kind of de-escalate until we hit a point、um, that I see that they're tracking me and they're staying entrained to the music, where like they're still reflecting the physical attributes. Um, and then when we get to a spot where I think we can like continue forward and do some more like therapy s things, then、um, then that is a successful use of the ISO principle.、Uh, it's also used in、uh, like medical settings because、um, entrainment in general、uh, use is used also、um, to help with like regulating breathing or heart rate. Um, because both of those things also will、um, change the match 
whatever music is currently being played. Fun fact there. And so that is the whole like physiological response. Neurologically, um, the thing that allows us to do this is something I don't think we got to last week um, called mirror neurons. Uh, mirror neurons are a fairly recent discovery that there are these like specialized cell in your brain, cells in your brain that uh, kind of make this whole monkey see, monkey do effect happen so that we can both observe the outside world and internalize it to see, you know, what's best and safest. And then also to show others like, hey, I'm, I'm copying you, which means if you're not going to punch me, I'm not going to punch you. This helps us communicate and feel safe and heard and all those other things that all humans really need to survive. And so the combination of that physiological response and the mirror neurons um, are what allows us to use entrainment and attunement and the ISO principle so that we can help clients move from a place of distress or uh, a place where they aren't able to kind of be in their current surroundings to a place um, that is much safer to leave them in. Interesting. So that's those. So that's how you... Oh, so the last part, you said that it's safer to leave them in. Yeah. That's an important part of creating the therapeutic boundaries in music therapy so that Mm -hmm. you're not causing harm. Yeah. Which is something that a a musician that's not trained as a music therapist may not be aware of Mm -hmm. or may not do in the beginning or end of Mm -hmm. their performance, which is important. Yeah. Kind of side tangent. I mm-hmm. particularly remember that in music school, one of my music theory classes, the professor played some really atonal or disjointed sounding music. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling really like tight in my chest and having a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And I could, because I was in school at the time mm-hmm. for music therapy, yeah. could recognize like why that was. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with the professor and being like, you should play like soothing music at the end of class. <laughs> um, he didn't really get it, but it's a real thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why a more like practical daily example is like if you have a small child or elementary age child, you do some sort of like nighttime routine and there's like calm down music. Yeah. And like, that's probably a more real world example of. Yeah unintentionally using attunement and entrainment to even more broadly think about like if you're in traffic on the way home from work you want to find music that can help kind of keep you at equilibrium mm. so like we use it on a daily basis that we're not even aware of like when you're picking the song you want to listen to in the car like you are making all these choices and thoughts to your brain and like what is the best music to listen to that's like why when you're sad, you're like listening to sad music. Mm. Either we can create playlists that transition from music that really helps you feel those feelings and feel like seen and heard by the music you're listening to and then transition slowly into like a more neutral mood or something that, you know, I can now like go to work or go meet up my friends with my friends for coffee or whatever daily functioning things you have to do i wonder if like wedding djs use this or like any dj would use this not by like name but they know it like people everyone knows that intrinsically inside of them right like you know how to use music to adjust your mood like you you do that on a regular basis usually yeah i kind of 
I'm assuming a lot about our listeners, <laughs> but I'm assuming a lot of you use music to help kind of regulate your mood. Yeah. Um, that's the most common example I get when I talk about my job. So I would assume yeah. the general uh, yeah, public that everyone's aware of this ISO principle and this entrainment and we're all using it. It's just to use it in a more carefully crafted manner. We have that extra chaining as well as doing it like live with live music. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... The word, the phrase that should not be named. Um, you want to talk about grounding first? Oh, what's, I don't even know. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about grounding. So grounding, as I kind of previously explained, was um, a way for us to kind of reconnect uh, folks who are disassociating their kind of reality orientation, being back to the present and not going back to the past or being out in space if they're overthinking and having these anxiety panic attacks. And so I think also in the trimester we talked about how the frontal cortex, that frontal lobe kind of goes offline when you yes. have a fight or flight response. Yes. And so, but your like hind brain, that reptilian brain, the part that's in charge of survival and movement stays online and really reactive. And so the part we all talked about last episode, how music is processed in the brain, like everywhere. Um, and that includes our motor, our motor centers and in our hind brain. And so, especially with drumming and rhythm, that's really heavily processed there. Also, why more rhythmic music, more rhythmic music makes us want to dance more. But because of that, we can use drumming or rhythm to be able to reach people who are in those episodes or states and help kind of bring them back to here. And that's done, you know, entirely through music. Or the same way, like. You can play someone's favorite song. It can help kind of snap them back. I've used that a number of times of kids who are, you know, starting to really hyper-escalate and get into more aggressive behaviors and they're not ready to come back to class. We can, um, if we've worked together before, there's that safety relationship between the two of us and then I can bring songs I know they like that will also help kind of recenter them. So that's where grounding really comes in. Is that Since the hindbrain is also accessed by music, you can still use music to get the people who aren't going to respond to talking just because that part of the brain is not present. It's not working at the moment. It's mm. offline. So music therapy then can be really be a tool mm-hmm. for anybody that's nonverbal, whether yes. situationally, electively, mm-hmm. or other reasons. Yeah. And it can be a support system. Maybe somebody's not ready for talk therapy yet. Mm-hmm. But they can try music therapy, and then maybe they'll be ready to do talk therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a big, because it's also another star. I'm the queen of tangents, apparently. (laughs) But um, when I'm talking to the community, I think there's a misconception that music therapists want to be, like, the the main Mm -hmm. care provider or therapy provider. And that's just not true that we, we want to work alongside yeah. your physical therapist, your speech therapist, your OT, yeah. your mental health, your traditional mental health yeah. therapist. Like we have our strengths and we'll champion those. And then also know when to work with other people, when to seek supervision, and when to be like, yeah, no, you'll be better at this. <laughs> like, yeah, here, please, absolutely. Uh, work your magic and we can all work together yeah. to make the world a better place. Wow. Yay. All right, so tangent over. So, okay, so there's... Now the term. Oh, this term. There's the term that should not be named. Um, (laughs) How does that work in a therapy environment? Like, what settings Mm -hmm. is it used in? Like, what does an example of that maybe look like? So the two main ones I'm mostly aware of are in trauma care and also in uh, TBI, traumatic brain injuries. 
like strokes or things of those natures, uh, head wounds, head traumas. So because the brain can be shaped differently, it can still be reshaped into a way that would have healthy functioning and adaptive skills for coping with trauma and your trauma experiences. Uh, and so using music to start to access some of those different venues, trying to kind of sidestep some of the pathways that might be activated by um, mentioning a certain word or trying to do things like when your uh, language centers are offline and we're trying to talk through things, we start hitting, we hit a trigger or something that sends you back and your language center goes, ah, no, I don't need me right now. I need to get safe. Um, music is still an option, like mm. we just talked about with grounding, to keep people present so that we can continue working through things. Or even as you mentioned, people who aren't ready to enter that like full talk center of it yet playing things representationally with music i know personally if i'm struggling with like heavy or big emotions like just playing an instrument not talking not singing not going through all that just playing things out is really cathartic and so these are all different ways that i use it personally in my practice to help with those things and that ties into the brain's ability to take in new things and change itself to incorporate those a bit more like direct um, that I'm aware of in TBI recovery is that when those parts of the brains are parts of the brain are damaged because of stroke because of a traumatic head injury what have you there are other pathways that music can access especially on that right side there's a lot of research with speaking and speech recovery and using music because if that language center on the left side is damaged there's still all the processes that we talked about in the right hemisphere and like our emotion centers and things like that that we can still channel lyrics through and like the most famous case of this is gabby giffords the arizona congresswoman that got shot in the head yeah um and then went through music therapy to help regain a lot of her speech functions so that is another way in which we can then take those other pathways and kind of rewire and shape them to be used for non-musical speech and that has some other fancy terms for music therapy circles but maybe we can get nmt does a lot of this maybe we can talk to megumi about it (laughs) yeah we're gonna have a future episode with our colleague megumi who is a neurologic specialized music therapist and she can speak more to more in addition to and like how the brain functions and how this works and Mm I think she works, I know she works specifically with Parkinson's patients, Mm -hmm. but I think she may also work with stroke patients and she'll be another wealth of wisdom on this. Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking you mentioned uh, Gabby Gifford. Mm Is a really popular, well-known example of the use of music therapy. Um, Another movie that I, another movie, another example that Mm -hmm. I thought of was the movie King's Speech. Mm -hmm. Do you know this movie, Colby? I know of it. I haven't seen it yet. It's with uh, Colin Firth, mm-hmm. and it's, um, oh, I forget, a British royal, I think. Yeah, King George? Maybe it's King George. Look this up, because I might be wrong. Um, But the point that I'm saying is that he had a stutter, mm-hmm. and he sang yeah. to like work through that. Yeah. So it wasn't quote-unquote music therapy, because... There was no actual music therapist and mm-hmm. a bunch of reasons why, but it's that principle yeah, of power of music still being used yeah. to like yeah, help work around that. 
It's a really good movie. Go watch mm-hmm. it. So, uh, thank you so much, Colby, for joining us Bye. for this two-part series, sharing everything. Colby will be back, I believe, in two weeks. He's going to talk about storytelling and music yes. therapy, another one of Colby's areas of deep knowledge and wisdom. If you would like to learn more about the applications for this, again, we'll have the resources in the episode notes and also on our website. The website for the Somish County Music Project is S is in Sam, C is in Cat, musicproject.org. You can also follow us on all major social media platforms at SC Music Project. Next week, we have a brand new guest, Sam Burns. Uh, we'll be talking about music therapy and early childhood relationships, exploring questions like how does early childhood relationships impact the child throughout their life and how does music therapy support building secure relationships. So thank you, Colby. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Thank <music> you.